St. Mary Ann Cope once said, Our dear Heavenly Mother Mary, how little do our trials and sorrows appear when compared to her bitter sufferings. Welcome to the 29th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want everyone to know exactly how close Mary is to every one of us who suffers. She is our loving mother waiting to walk alongside us and bring us peace. Let's reach out to her in our time of need. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, I try to drive home the important point on this podcast that different types of therapy connect with different people and how we have to search out the modality of therapy that best connects with our experience, our personality, our idea of healing. And I thought I'd share my own experience related to this to show exactly what I mean. In grad school, I was required to go to therapy for myself as a way of learning how to be a better therapist. The first therapist I went to had a dual master's degree in psychology and linguistics, and her approach was to look at the words I chose about myself in my life and to examine the meaning behind those words and how those words impact the way I see myself and my life. And then exploring more precise language to change my thinking and perspective. I would say something about my life and she would say, do you know what that word means? And she'd launch into a lesson of etymology and help me work to select a more accurate word to describe things in a way helping free me uh, from the negativity of my word choices and what they were causing me. I saw her for about five sessions and found it quite transformative both in my own life and how I would go on to help people in therapy down the road. But after those five sessions, she told me that it was time to move on to a different therapist to get a different perspective. And whoa, boy, did I get exactly that. The next therapist I went to see was into meditation and hypnosis, a kind of hypnosis, not really like me clucking like a chicken or something. And needless to say, it wasn't my jam. When the topic of my adoption at a young age came up, this therapist suggested I attend a weekend retreat where there was a rebirthing event. Like literally, they would create a birth canal and you would crawl through it as a way of reclaiming and re-experiencing your birth. If you've picked up anything about me by listening to this podcast, I'm sure you can guess that this idea was absolutely mortifying to me and I promptly ended therapy with her and holy smokes I still remember it all these years later as an absolute weird thing that was proposed to me. So my point here is that we all bring our own personalities into therapy and we really need to find a modality that connects with us and works for us. There's no point in going to a therapist who wants you to crawl through a birth canal if you're not into that kind of thing and the opposite is also true if you're into hypnosis or touchy-feely kind of therapy there's no point in staying with a cognitive behavioral therapist. You have to find what works for you and go for it. Next, I thought it might be worthwhile to talk about miscarriages and the range of emotions that can accompany the experience. All too often, there can be an expectation for how someone is supposed to react when they have a miscarriage, and we impose that expectation either by saying something to another, I'm surprised you're still upset, it was like over a month ago, or by thinking something about ourselves. Why am I not feeling more emotional about this loss? Maybe I'm a bad person for not feeling sad. 
it's important to remember that grief is a very mysterious thing. As we've talked about in previous episodes, we can often be surprised by our reaction to a loss or difficult experience, either by being more emotional than we anticipated or not being as emotional as we thought we would be. This happens especially in the case of experiencing a miscarriage. And I have to be out here to remind everyone that every emotional experience is okay, normal, and nothing to be judgy about to ourselves or others. Sometimes a miscarriage can cause very little grief, and that's totally normal. It's normal because there are so many things that go into our overall experience, so many things that are a part of the equation for how we will feel. And sometimes we can feel sad, sure, but nothing really more than that, and that's totally okay. Other times, a miscarriage can cause intense grieving, heartbreak, and huge emotional difficulties, and that's also totally normal. One thing people don't, uh, who don't understand this, they, they don't realize that sometimes we connect with our babies even before they are conceived. We're trying to have a baby. We're already thinking about them, what they'll be like, how nice it'll be to snuggle with them. We're already in love and the baby isn't even conceived yet. So it's pretty reasonable to see how we would be absolutely heartbroken over the loss, even if the baby was only five weeks along, because we already connected with that baby. We already loved that baby and we are left feeling totally devastated. So I say all this just to let all of you out there, mothers and fathers who've experienced a miscarriage like I have, to cut yourself some slack. Make room for your feelings, whichever end of the spectrum they may fall on, and be at peace that your experience is absolutely normal, but also to encourage you to reach out for help when you need it. And let's all pray for each other, all of us who have experienced the loss of a child, either by miscarriage, ectopic pregnancy, stillbirth, infant death, blighted ovum, abortion, or infertility. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton. Born in 1774, Elizabeth's mother died at the age of three after complications related to the birth of Elizabeth's younger sister, Catherine. Her father remarried, and Elizabeth's stepmother was initially fond of taking her along to do charity work, that is, until the separation. Elizabeth and her sisters were then rejected. Elizabeth went through a time of darkness at this point, grieving the loss of a second mother. Elizabeth married a wealthy businessman at the age of 25, and they moved into a sweet place on Wall Street. Yes, that Wall Street. After her husband died, Elizabeth was received by a family of her late husband's uh, Italian business partners who introduced her to Catholicism and she was received into the church in 1805. Thank you, as always, Italians. After her conversion, Elizabeth founded an academy for young women and moved to Emmitsburg, Maryland, where she set up St. Joseph's Academy and Free School dedicated to the education of Catholic girls. And later, she established a religious community dedicated to the care of the children of the poor, the first congregation of religious sisters to be found in the United States. She later became the first person born in America to be canonized. And I think she stands as an excellent intercessor for those of us who have had difficult losses in our families and in our lives. Her perseverance in the face of loss is such a shining example to all of us. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. 
Lord God, you blessed Elizabeth Seton with gifts of grace as wife and mother, educator and foundress, so that she might spend her life in service to your people. Through her example and prayers, may we learn to express our love for you in love for our fellow men and women. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. First up, Father Anonymous is here. Any advice for priests when we get DMs of people who are wondering if X is a mortal sin or similar and seem to be scrupulous? This is such a great question, Father, and I'm so glad you tossed it in the hat because I think it's something that applies to a lot of us. First, let's pray for everyone suffering from scrupulosity that the peace of God may pour into their hearts this very day. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day your daily bread, our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. First and foremost, while Twitter is super cool for giving us the ability to meet different people and have access to different people we can ask questions to, I really believe that these kinds of questions are best deflected away from Twitter. When someone is asking a question like this and it makes you think they may be coping with scrupulosity, I think it's appropriate to recommend they talk to someone on the ground, someone they can interact with on a personal level who can get to know them and thus better be able to guide them. There's just so much that could be going on in someone's life that wouldn't come across via a a DM. So my initial thought is to say, that's a good question for a local priest, religious sister, or holy person that you know and trust. Otherwise, I think the best approach is to be completely objective. I wouldn't try to respond by diving into this person's life and all the ins and outs or to request info on the specifics of what was happening at the time they engaged in the action or situation, but rather to refer to the straight objective info. What does it take for there to be a mortal sin? What kind of things exist that lessen the culpability, etc.? And then handing that info to them to let them discern their situation on the subjective level on their own. It's important because if the person is coping with scrupulosity, the reassurance that something they did wasn't a mortal sin can actually ramp up their anxiety and thoughts and lead to a never-ending cycle of assurance-seeking, which isn't healthy either. So that's why encouraging them to connect with someone in real life and keeping things as objective as possible is probably the best place to start. Next, James is here. I was wondering if you would be able to talk for just a minute about those uh, who struggle with GAD, especially with a great fear of hell. As a pretty big sinner, I feel as if the fear of hell has really prevented me from growing in my spirituality. Also, past mortal sin, uh, oh, post-mortal sin, the anxiety of hell is crippling to the point I let it affect my role as a father and husband. I also feel that the idea of hell has made it difficult to develop my relationship with Christ. As much as I know rationally how merciful he is, I can't seem to let it go and just have faith. This starts a negative feedback loop in which I'm disappointed in myself for my lack of faith. Let's stop what we're doing and pray for James and all of us who've experienced similar thought patterns and feelings when thinking of sin, hell, God's mercy, and everything in between. Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those who are most in need of thy mercy. Amen. 
James, you need to hear that you most certainly are not alone in this situation. I would say I'm right there with you, and I'll wager a bet that a lot of those listening are also there with us. We are stopped in our tracks when we think about our sin and think about the pains of hell, panic over the thought that we might be headed there, let it all affect the way that we behave and respond even to those we love like our spouse and kids, and can't even imagine that God's endless ocean of mercy is vast enough to forgive us because of what we've done and how awful we are. And while I don't want to over-spiritualize, especially Especially because you asked this question in the context of GAD or generalized anxiety disorder. I do want to start by saying that these thoughts are precisely the devil's mode of attack on us. And when we experience this attack and combine it with our own issues, our fallen human nature, our tendency to think negatively about ourselves, our crippling and spinning anxiety, we can feel sunk. So again, let me say clearly, this negative feedback loop that we all fall victim to from time to time is a flat out lie. God, God loves you. God loves you exactly as you are, and God is willing to be patient, take his time, wait for the right moment, and slowly walk with you toward heaven. I realize that it can feel like God can't possibly forgive us, love us, or care about us, but it just isn't true. When I think about the reality of hell and how it makes it difficult for us to grasp the mercy and love of Jesus, I like to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-4. through 4. This is good and pleasing to God our Savior, who wills that everyone be saved. God wants all of us to be saved. You, me, the murderer doing time in prison, everyone. And the mere fact that we feel awful about our sins, that we feel a fear of hell, shows precisely that God lives in us and is pulling us towards salvation in the seemingly smallest of ways. So be brave, take heart, place yourself in Christ's arms, trust in his providence, and go with our prayers. And in terms of general tips for coping with generalized anxiety disorder for you or for anyone else who's listening, remember you can work to learn what triggers anxiety. Learn to feel when it's coming, uh, in even the smallest and earliest of stages, and implement coping skills to help you work through it, including slowing your breathing, relaxing the muscles in your body, a technique called progressive muscle relaxation making decisions to live with uncertainty, meaning changing your behavior to act as if you are comfortable with uncertainty, if that's what's bothering you, rethinking the usefulness of worrying, something you can live in, learn in cognitive behavioral therapy or through a workbook, and exploring medications through your doctor if needed. And I know I always share how helpful therapy is, but if you want to start with a workbook that can help you work through these kind of things, the Anxiety and Worry Workbook by David Clark and Aaron Beck is a fantastic place to start. Sarah wraps us up. I would appreciate a little on mental health and preparing for pregnancy or birth when a woman has a little or a lot of medical trauma in her past. How to approach something that is supposed to be beautiful without being terrified and dreading it. Thank you for reaching out, Sarah, and I'm excited to get another question on mental health in light of preparing for birth. So let's start by praying for Sarah and everyone in this situation that God may be with them and that the Blessed Mother may intercede for them. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who uh, fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. Having a history of trauma 
in the context of medical care is so hard. I, I first want to say I'm so proud of you uh, showing up and thinking about how to move forward through the situation in the context of giving birth. And I think that, that the thing you said is something that applies to so many of us. How can we approach something that is supposed to be beautiful without being terrified and dreading it? If you'll allow me, uh, I want to challenge a little bit on this idea that this event is supposed to be beautiful. It's so easy to feel like we didn't do the right thing, like we're a bad mom or a bad dad on day one of being a parent because birth didn't go as we planned. And I just want to take a second to remind everyone that things not going as planned, things not being the beautiful moment people pretend they have on Instagram, none of that makes you any less of a good parent. Don't ever forget that. Given our experience with the death of our son, I understand this question in the depths of my soul. When we got the news that we were expecting since the time that Luke died, it's always met with the exact same sentiment, being pregnant, expecting a baby. It's all supposed to be such a happy and glorious moment. However, once you've lost your innocence about giving birth, about babies and their development, it's not that simple. It's now a moment that reminds you of all the possible outcomes, the good, the bad, the tragic. And it's extremely hard to free ourselves of this perspective, even though it makes us feel bad. This probably lines up with your thoughts about birth after experiencing medical trauma. Now that you know all the different ways that things can go wrong, it's hard to be back in that pre-trauma, innocent place of being happy, being at ease, and all that good stuff that you feel when you haven't experienced something traumatizing. So how do we work on this? Therapy is great, and a lot of the coping skills I mentioned earlier that apply to generalized anxiety disorder can also apply here. But what can we do to prepare ourselves to face the future knowing this intense mix of emotions is going to churn in our hearts, keeping peace and comfort at bay? For me, in our situation, I have really turned this corner from, oh no, something bad is probably going to happen, how are we going to handle this, to a slightly different, well, something bad might happen, but we can and will get through it, just like we've gotten through so many difficult and tragic things before. I'm reminded of Mary with the apostles in the upper room. The apostles were understandably terrified. Everything was falling apart right in front of their eyes, and everything seemed hopeless. But there was Mary, who had already been through the greatest tragedy any mother can bear, who had seen worse things than any of us could imagine. And there she was, calm, trusting, patient, confident in God, confident that his providence would be done and that she could get through it. This gives me a lot of peace, knowing that Our Lady lived that reality. And it's gone a long way toward helping me realize that God's providence is his providence. And even though I'm scared, terrified, even in the face of something that should be happy and exciting, I know, I'm sure of it, that no matter what comes, we will get through it because we have him, we have her, and we have each other. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.